Listeners, this podcast is of an adult nature, so please keep that in mind. Bye, kiddos. This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Mike with you, and today we're going to be talking um, on the theme of the week, which is pornography. Today, specifically, we're going to be uh, discussing pornography and the sex slave industry. It's a darker subject. So if there are any kids uh, in listening view of this, uh, might be a good idea just to remove them. Um, and so I want to just share with you guys uh, on the front end a few uh, stats. 8% of teens, according to Barna, are seeking out pornography daily. Uh, 12% of people in their 20s are seeking out pornography daily. 66% of young men and 18% of young women view porn online at least once a week. Uh, personally, anecdotally, um, I believe those are under understated, um, given what we are experiencing just on a, on a very personal level um, with people in our church and beyond. 54% of adults 25 years and older believe that looking at porn uh, is not wrong. So I want you to just catch that state. So 54% of 25 year, people 25 years old and older do not believe that looking at porn is wrong. Um, and only 11%, this is, the, this is the best stats that Barna can get. This is Christian, non-Christian. This takes uh, great snapshots of American demographics, uh, evenly distributes them. 11% of Americans believe that pornography is wrong, which means 89% are either neutral or positive to the subject of pornography. That's deeply concerning. One of the connections that uh, I want to make today is that pornography is directly tied to the sex slave industry. So what we find often is that um, for men, their future consequences are not enough for them to stop looking at pornography. The current consequences, the ways it is negatively affecting their life is not enough for them to stop looking at pornography. Um, the private shame and guilt that so many feel is not enough for them to get stop looking at pornography. What I have found though is that um, when, I, when I share with men the direct connection between pornography and the sex slave industry, it stops them in their tracks. It doesn't necessarily mean that their porn addiction goes away, mm. but they realize that this is no longer about a future hypothetical person. Uh, they realize this is no longer just about me, but this is actually real-time uh, harming on ways that are unimaginable other, other people's lives, especially kids. And so uh, what is what is the sex slave industry? Some people um, may not know what this is. We should probably tell them it's a dark secret, um, illegal in most of the world, but actually legal in significant parts mm -hmm. of the world uh, industry where um, men and women, mostly children, um, mostly young girls. But um, in some countries, the market for young boys is very high are uh, held against their will or in a position where they would never be able to get out reasonably and their bodies are being given away for sex or sexual activities and their owner or pimp is making money off of them. Uh, and so this is happening all over the world and it's actually happening in America in some profound ways, especially in major cities. So here in Chicago, 
um, there's a whole track of highway, which is just known for being um, a sex trafficking highway. And that's right here in Chicago. And we drive by it. If you drive on 90 um, every day, there are, there are um, in some way or another human beings being trafficked along 90, which is in Chicago. So in out of the burbs. Uh, I was reading a, a, a story of a woman who was sold into sex slavery by her mother. And here's here's what she wrote. My mom had a webcam, and a couple of years after the visits from the uncles, she, she decided to take the business online. Uh, uncles were men that she and her husband would actually bring into the house. And uh, anyway, so she would go, goes on, she would go into chat rooms and talk me up, and that's how I got my work. The earliest webcam shows I remember were when I was around six years old, and they began to pick, pick up after my grandmother passed away when I was eight. And so some people might be thinking that actually the sex slave industry is just when somebody's kidnapped. That's actually not always the case. In many, in many areas of America, it's actually moms and dads, typically in massive poverty and in drug addiction, who are selling their own kids. Um, and it's just a really sad, sad reality. So what I'd like to do right now is I want to introduce you to our two guests this morning. The first one is my wife, Brianne Feeling. She was with us last week and has been on a number of Q&A episodes. Brianne is a professional counselor and a florist and many other things in raising three kids along with myself and Susan Elliott, who is a part of our women's ministry team. Awesome. Love God, loves the word, loves theology, and um, is, I think, just um, perfect to be in this room at this this time for this question. So um, I want to ask you, Brian, first of all, is pornography actually connected to the sex slave industry? And if so, how? Make a direct link for the man or the woman listening who is watching porn that what they're doing is actually supporting the sex slave industry. So I want to read a quote from an article on DesiringGod.org. And it says, There are the forces of supply and demand, and the way that pornography creates more and more demand for the commercial sex industry. Pornography is like the gateway drug. People get addicted, and then they want something more. Pornography fuels prostitution, heightening the demand for prostitutes. And a higher demand for prostitutes means more lucrative opportunities for pimps, which means more women and children exploited by them for these purposes. So if you are looking at porn, even if you are not paying for it, you're showing the advertisers and producers of pornography and all those involved in the sex business that demand is high, which then motivates them to shame and exploit even more people. And so I think that very clearly creates the cause and effect. It's the supply and demand. And so when you are looking at pornography online or really in any form or fashion, that could even be, I would say, going to like a strip club or any form or fashion of pursuing this kind of sexuality. It is absolutely 100% feeding into this industry and growing it. And so I love the part where it says, like, so people are like, oh, but I, all the porn I look at is just free. Okay, well, here's the deal. That still actually is completely investing in the industry. So I've read some some stats that have said, and it's hard to get official, secure, you know, 86.35% stats on the sex slave industry because it's underground. But uh, on the porn industry, that uh, the stats range between 70 and 90% that um, the porn that you look at free or paid are not by willing women. In fact, yeah. these women 
um, are put in studios and into different places. In fact, most of it is made globally, but even in America, 70 to 90% of the porn that any average normal man will look at is from women who are actually sex slaves. And they may look like they're very into it and they're very responsive, but what you don't know is that uh, maybe their families are at risk. Maybe their bodies are at risk and that they are um, forced to do these kind of things and to look happy mm -hmm. as a way of surviving. And if you know your survival is dependent on something, you'll know how to fake something. Mm -hmm. And so the illusion is that people will look at porn and they will think to themselves, they want to do this. They want to be in this industry. And then what gets promoted on different, we'll just say even news stations, because they're not talking about this a whole lot, is, is the porn actress or the porn actor who willingly went into it. And, uh, and, and so it's just a different world um, when you start really uncovering some of the international statistics on what you're actually looking at. Um, what you're looking at is somebody who has been taken from their life and forced into this, and mm -hmm. you're perpetuating this. So Susan, here, I have a question for you. Why on God's green earth would anybody do this to another human being? I think it's just the financial aspect. There, it's an easy way for someone to make a lot of money. Mm. It's not a biblical worldview where you're taking advantage of someone else for your own pleasure. Mm. I think off of that and that exploitation of using using people for like our own pleasure and absolutely not caring about them whatsoever. That's why I love how we use the word slavery a lot of times to be able to talk about the sex trafficking industry is because that is just absolutely looking at people as an object and not as a human. Mm -hmm. And I think you talked a little bit about the statistics of the pornography industry. I think a couple of statistics I just wanted to share on the sex trafficking industry is that overall in, in modern day slavery, we estimate that there's 21 million people who are trapped in that. And so some of that is is labor for uh, forced labor. And some of that is um, different kinds of other labor options. But 22 percent of that, we believe, which would be about 4.5 million people, mm. are the people who are being sexually exploited all around the world. And if you think about that, it 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 physically makes me nauseous to think about the amount of people who are vulnerable to this in the first place, whether that's because they couldn't protect themselves or their hearts just so wanted to be loved and appreciated or found beautiful that that they felt vulnerable and prey to this. And it just absolutely breaks my heart. They did a study of vulnerabilities of people in the sex trafficking industry in the United States mostly. And they found that 91% of the kids in Los Angeles area who are reported sex trafficking victims, 91% of them are African-American and Latino youth. 50 to 90% of the sex trafficking victims have been involved in the child welfare system. So that gives you like another sense of their vulnerability. Refugee and migrant children are a huge percentage. Runaways and homeless youth, there's a huge percentage of the LGBTQ youth that are in that percentage also and in the homelessness and like the runaway population. And so if you look at just all these different aspects that lead up to the vulnerability that can sometimes put someone in this situation. And if you talk to so many men, I think, who use pornography, so many men even have a heart for so many of the groups of these people. Oh, yeah. To be able to look at these people and be like, you know what, I would even give money to help the homeless runaway youth. Or I would want to give money to be able to really protect foster um, care, kids. Foster care yeah. kids. Right. And so yet at the same time, they are actually pouring into the very industry that puts these ch vulnerable children on the front lines of being the ones who are absolutely taken advantage of. So they feed it 
privately and they fund it publicly. I mean, it's a contradiction. You know, light the candle, put it out. Light the candle, put it out. I think an interesting point to bring up is the vulnerability piece. So the people that are being enslaved are completely vulnerable. And yet when men are looking at porn, um, what they're doing is not being vulnerable. Right. And they're just taking advantage of something for their own pleasure Mm -hmm. and having no emotional response into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because what does porn do? It it keeps people safe. It allows them to have a sexual release or a feeling of control or power or being awesome or whatever it may be. And and yet not to be vulnerable. Like you just said, it's it's a private, unintimate experience. And so I think a lot of people just see it as that. It's just like a cheap, easy, secretive, no one's going to know about it. It's not hurting anybody kind of thing. But when you begin to really look at the heart of porn and what's going on in those experiences, as you're absolutely right, they are, they are capturing and taking secret their own vulnerability at the risk of having an intimate experience with another person or within the context of marriage and what that looks like mm. and preying on someone else's vulnerability to be able to protect their own. What's interesting is that um, not only does this have implications for global sex trafficking, but um, when grown men look at pornography, they're perpetuating the porn industry, which when we talk about the ways that porn has massively affected um, young teenage men in high school, so that now uh, the, the, the stats are just unbelievable that it said in, in many public schools, up to 50% of girls um, are already sending uh, naked pics of themselves to other guys. And that oh, there are full apps that um, these these young men have where they trade naked pictures of different girls in school. Right. And this is expected. The first text messages to girls are sh- basically send me uh, a sex pic or something of the right. sorts or a naked pic. Right. And, so I was talking to a young girl recently and she said that she's never been friends with a guy like in a texting relationship, you know, where you'd have each other's phone number or whatever you call that nowadays. And within 24 hours, not had them, this is at a public school, not had them ask for a nude picture of her. Right. So like the culture of guys that I grew up in were extremely respectful and they really protected me. And I'd they be so really embarrassed if I me. asked a girl for that. I, honestly, oh. I'm like, I couldn't even like in high school, like I would, what would, what would you think of right. me? That's, that's so dirty. That's and, the problem is yeah. that you have, you have, those impulses and now you have the cultural okayness of it and then yep. you have a way There's to no make shame. that happen yep. to mitigate any of the vulnerability that Susan talked about or yep. the shame. So now what, I mean, this is what's interesting is that what grown men and dads don't realize especially is that you're actually creating a culture that now is exploiting your daughters. Absolutely. And you're enabling a culture of your sons right. to go exploit them and but culture also, is not mm-hmm. just shaming them, they're encouraging it. Right, but also to harm themselves and yep. to keep your sons from knowing what real relationships are and real vulnerability is. So oftentimes at Village Church, we talk about and you talk about that one of the purposes of a man is to lead, provide, and protect. And so when you look at the pornography industry, that's something I come back to people all the time. exploit. Exactly. Throw away. Use use and abuse. We can say all we want to our young men, hey, you should lead people and provide for them and protect their bodies and their hearts. But the more that we do our own actions and encourage or make it okay or allow or whatever way may be doing – we're absolutely 100% giving the complete opposite yep. message. So we asked the question earlier, why would anybody do this? And clearly selfishness is going to be like at the base of this. But like, what is the incentive for someone to do this? Well, what is the incentive for somebody to sear their conscience so severely that they would do this? And the, the answer you said earlier, which is spot on, which is money. And so the average sex slave uh, profits their pimp about $100,000 per year. Mm-hmm. That's the average. Imagine if you have 10. Mm-hmm. Imagine if you have 20 or 30 or an entire network, how many millions of dollars this is. 
Um, it might cost a lot of money to go get a child, have the infrastructure to keep them, et cetera. Um, and, but imagine how much money that one child will make. Well, right. this is what is motivating them. This is crazy to me that the human trafficking industry, which again, you said earlier, Brianne, which is about labor and sex. There's, mm -hmm. there's different aspects to this. It's about $31 billion a year in industry. So if you think about it this way, um, $9.5 billion is how much of that is for sex slaves and how much money is made off of them. That is four and a half times the annual revenue of Burger King. Mm -hmm. So like think about wow. all the people who go to Burger King every day and how much money they spend per year. You take all that, times that by four, four and a half. And that is how much money is being invested, paid mm -hmm. to pimps or to different organizations or people to actually have a sexual encounter with a slave. So I, I don't know if this math adds up because I don't do math. But uh, No, you don't. <laughs> one, of, one of the statistics that I read, too, is that so it's an, overall globally, it's a $99 billion industry annually from the commercial sexual exploitation of children and primarily children. So we're talking even that that mm -hmm. category of like 18 and under, which we know there's like so many other people who are over 18 and are still trapped in their situations. Yep. And that different secret studies that they've done, one trafficker can earn between like $20,000 a month from four people. And what's crazy is what you're talking about. So there are global stats, American stats. There's um, how much they actually profit, net gross, et cetera, no matter how you slice it. So in America, when you get $31 billion of traffic money, you know, you get 99 or $100 billion globally. Um, America, ironically, still has one of the largest, uh, we're still one of the largest producers in, in terms of demand for this mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So like in, I think it's Cancun, there is um, a secret underground. I've been listening to, for whatever reason, um, testimonies and people's stories on this for the last month or so. And and uh, so what will happen is men will fly to Cancun because there's an underground uh, child mm -hmm. sex uh, thing there that they can access. Like what must go through your brain? Like how, how broken do you have to be mm -hmm. to take that initiative, to fly to another country, then find the place to go and then to actually take advantage? And what you find here is that there's just a brokenness. All of this is revealing the heart of people and how pornography at its core begins this process. Right. Now, somebody would say, yeah, but I would never do that. Well, enough people do it that billions of, of American dollars per year are spent on actually pursuing sex acts with these kids. Right. So it's happening enough mm -hmm. that billions of dollars are being spent in this country alone. We talk to people all the time who do things that they were never going to do. Yep. Unless it were for mm -hmm. porn in their life. And mm -hmm. everybody who moves from porn to some kind of dark, demented sexual action will always, 100% of the time, directly correlate the initial action to pornography and porn addiction. Okay, so I want to I shift gears for a little bit. Susan, if you could sit down with a Christian man addicted to porn, what would you tell them? There's no wrong answer on this. I mean, just you're going to have your own perspective on this. Like you may want to punch him in the face. You may want to give him a big hug and say, I'm sorry. You may want to. I mean, what would you if you had this very vulnerable moment? There's a man sitting across from you and he looks at porn every single day. What would you what would you want to tell him if he's a obviously he's a Christian? I heard a great sermon by Andy Stanley. He was giving it to the Passion Conference and he was talking about how Esau sold his birthright because he was hungry. Mm. just for an immediate satisfaction. And uh, Andy looked at the crowd and he said to thousands of people, he said, you do that every single day. You're selling your future mm. for an immediate gratification. Mm. And if you can put that in perspective, 
hopefully that would make a difference to people to mm-hmm. see just what you do right now in the in the immediate has long-term effects not only on yourself but on taking advantage of the vulnerability of someone else. Mm-hmm. Talk about the least, you know, like you think about the day of judgment and you're, you're talking about the future and that there should be something about our future that makes us reevaluate our present and the decisions we're making, you know, but obviously ca- cost counting and implications are not are not in a lot of people's brains right now for some of this stuff. But you think about the least, the most exploited, the most taken advantage of. And if somebody is in any good conscience going to going to be able to like say they care about broken people, poor people, anything, they would kill pornography in their life right away. But Absolutely. you stand on the day of judgment, you know, talking about the future. I think it's going to be interesting to see how Jesus is going to have to show them, like, you didn't love the least. You actually were on the front lines of using them, Mm -hmm. abusing them, exploiting them, and funding passively or actively the industry that ruined lives. Mm -hmm. But what you're in the middle of lost years, what we know, is that the brain actually shuts off. It's the same with drug addiction. It shuts off all logic, lobe cortex, logic implications, shuts it all down until it gets its fix. And what could drive a, a man or a woman to fly to Cancun. Well, they're not thinking logically and part of their brain is shutting down. And what we find is immediate after immediately men who look at porn after release for the most part find immediate regret. Mm-hmm. Their brain just activates all over the place and they're actually able to see the weight of what they're doing. Um, but leading up to that, their brain shuts them down and just goes after the high, the experience, the release. Brian. But I think it's worth noting that the brain does not control us, but we Correct. control our brain and we are not slaves to the way that our brain currently functions. And and that is the hope of Jesus is being able to have the mind of Christ and allowing our decision making opportunities and the way we think about things, even with all the information we've kind of presented today, to be something that stirs up synapse connections between those Correct, two yeah. parts. And nobody, allows nobody gets us, to stay in the day of judgment. Oh, my brain, my frontal cortex yeah, wasn't really activated. Exactly. <laughs> I love brain science like so much, but I think that sometimes people begin to use that as an easy out. And so I think being able to say like, hey, you know what? Well, that's your brain and you're actually completely responsible for it. And so what would it be like for you to be stirring up the analytical, Mm -hmm. logical thought process that part of your brain in those moments? There are so many tricks. You know, I teach people all the time with my kids, you know, like if they're about to have like an emotional meltdown, I do strange things like, uh, okay, would you rather have hair growing out of your ears that you could braid or toenails that scratch the floor when you walked? Because what one. those crazy, weird questions do is it creates activity in the logical, cognitive, thinking, analytical part of your brain and enables that emotional side to be able to have some support from that part of your brain. Cool. And so even if they don't answer my question and they look at me like, you are so crazy again, mom, it gives them the opportunity to be able to have more activity happening on both sides of their brains. And so there's so yeah. many little tricks like that. And there's so many little ways that we can be able to be like, okay, Jesus, I want to have have a mind like you. And I want to be able to look at decisions like you do, which is is playing the long game, right? We talked about that the last episode we did is looking into our future and making sure that who we dream and think God has made us to be and who we're trying to become is actually who we're becoming like every moment by the decisions that we're making. Because I find so many people have this whole concept of who they're going to become and the things that they're doing now have no correlation to that time. If you could sit down, Brian, with a Christian man who is addicted to porn, in light of all this, what would you say? I I do often. And I think one of my greatest encouragements for them 
is to count the cost of what they're doing because I think people love themselves and they love pleasure. And so the pleasure pathways that have been created in their brain that looking at pornography and having that release comes from, they they love that more than they actually love people and they love that more than they actually love holiness and they love that more than they love pretty much everything in their life. It's the same people, you know, with people who love alcohol or people who love shopping or online gambling or chocolate sometimes. And so I think I would just ask them to count the costs because the cost of what you are spending emotionally and physically is never worth what you're receiving in the end. I think we've become a society that's fast, easy, mm-hmm. everything, mm-hmm. immediate gratification. And you just have to, like we talked about last week, self-control mm-hmm. is a, just a high value mm. that's going to affect every single aspect of yep. your life and help you to become the person that you really want to be. Yep. Mm. And when I'm talking to single women or when they're dating or they're engaged, that is probably the number one aspect I've learned to hone in. Look at what he does. How much does he eat? How does he does he do what he says he's going to do? Right. Mm. Like if he says he's going to clean that, does he clean that even when he doesn't want to? Does he do those hard things in the rest of the life? Because those are all indicators of how he's going to be able to handle this area of his life also. If he doesn't have self-control in how much he eats, whether or not he does his laundry when he wants to or returns a phone call to his mom or whatever it may be. If he doesn't have the self-control and the discipline to kind of enact in these different areas, I can guarantee you he, no matter what he says, has very little self-control in in this arena of pornography. So this brings us to our last question for both of you. What would you tell your daughter if she was dating a man addicted to pornography? Run. Yep, I agree. I think a lot of men have been really offended when I've looked at their engaged fiance. Yeah, I was like, what I is that? Like, I couldn't find the word what? either. I'm like, Who? Um, <laughs> and I've said, this isn't worth it. Because it, I can guarantee you the heartache that this is going to bring when they have not made significant amounts of healing in their lives already. And maybe sometimes I think a lot of people, a lot, we talk to so many people who have the attitude of, well, when I get married, this won't be a problem anymore. Wrong. To which I tell everyone, actually, I bet it'll get worse. Um, and statistically, it, we're 100% does. for 100% for yeah. every person we've told that to. And we don't want to be condemning. It's not in a spirit of condemnation. Mm-hmm. But when I see that attitude in someone, I know that they do not understand what is at the heart of this at all. Because it yep. is not about sexuality. It is not about now having someone who you can have like holy sex with. It is about the way that they're regulating their emotions, the way that they've learned to not be bored. The way they the think way and the way they, they use mm-hmm, people. Mm-hmm. And so that's actually what's at the heart of the problem. So the heart of the problem is actually where the gospel needs to enter into in this situation. It is not about a behavioral answer. Yeah. It's like, what if I looked at this girl and I said, okay, would you encourage your friend to date somebody who has private moments of his life where he uses and exploits people and then blocks it out of the rest of his life? And then he's all of a sudden like a good like man because there's happen. a whole bunch of other people doing it and says it has no effect on his life. Yeah. Like, no, you wouldn't do that. You would actually say, you're really dark. Mm-hmm. It might be 0.01% of their life, right? But that has huge implications. Unfortunately, people are so numb to it. They don't feel the weight of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like not that big of a deal. But all of a sudden when you get married... Um, for some reason, when you have someone addicted to pornography, the weight of it changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, really strange. I would look at my daughters and uh, I would tell the guy, you have two options. If, if you're going to date them, you're not allowed to marry them. But I'm, I'm going to know right now you're going to go into really intensive therapy to deal with this stat with the gospel with help. And you're going to kill this. And there will be no forward motion in this relationship until uh, you have 
gone above and beyond and I will work directly. If they're going to date my daughter, I will work directly with them to make sure they have everything they need until it's done. And if they are not willing to do it and willing to do it, I mean a hundred percent with no hesitation to do the hardest things possible to get rid of it. They're not touching my daughter. Um, now my think, daughter can rebel. That's her call, but I'm not going to prove it. Do you think this is something that men can just stop doing on their own? Or do you think it really, you need a counselor, you need some, a support group? So there's two answers to that. Can they? Yes. And I'll give you an example, right? Um, every person, Christian or non-Christian, has self-control. If I were to put a gun up to your child's head and say, if you look at pornography, I will shoot them in the head. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to put it down. So you're telling me mm-hmm. you have the ability to do it. You just don't believe the cost is it's high, high enough. enough. So absolutely, any man on a dime can stop looking at pornography. If they understood the cost. If they understood the cost. They do not believe at their core that not doing it is greater than doing it. They just don't believe that. So can they? Yes. Um, uh, On Friday, we're actually going to answer this exact question. How do I actually overcome pornography addiction? We're going to go deeper into that. I will say that every man needs to make two decisions. Um, The first decision is they have to believe it's worth it. And they have to decide getting rid of this out of my life is worth it. And then number two, um, they have to be willing to do impossibly difficult things to overcome it, which means their whole life is going to have to change because of how technology and culture intersect to create immediate access everywhere without accountability. So everything needs to change. And if they're not willing to do that, they will never overcome it. And I think it's important to know, too, this is not just a behavioral thing. This is a heart thing. And so a lot of times people look at the behavioral aspect of changing your pornography addiction, and that will only last for so long. And so because the love of pornography and the love of this release and the love of pleasure and all of those things come from a heart issue, until that is dealt with, it will not change. Or it'll, it'll maybe, you know, transfer addiction into something else. But I think that's where our hope is also. And that's why I have hope for so many men to be able to look at the situation and do the very hard work that it does take to overcome it. But Jesus doesn't look at anything in our lives and be like, oh, Mm. that's going to be hard for me to handle. Right. Like, I don't know how my light is going to penetrate that darkness. Um, No, he looks at everything, I think, in our lives. And he's able to say, actually, my light overcomes. And I equip you through the Holy Spirit also to have that self-control and to overcome Sometimes the Lord just gives that to someone immediately, but most of the time it's a whole bunch of process. Because yep. it wasn't uh, something simple that got him no. into this. It's been over time. Then it probably happened an hour ago. It's been over time. And so there's a lot to be able to look at there. I think let's just end on a little bit of vision. Most men do not know the joy of purity. So, for no. example, I could be in the bathroom or somewhere on the, you know, looking at my smartphone and I have no fear of who's looking over my shoulder. Not like an ounce. When my wife says, can I see your phone? I don't have one ounce of hesitation to give it to you. My iPad, whatever else, uh, my computer, when we plug it in, um, sometimes we'll put my computer and it'll be on the screen in uh, one of our rooms when we're teaching. I'm not afraid of what's going to pop up. Like, I don't even think twice about it, right? And it's interesting because there's a whole bunch of men who I'm like, oh, can I just look something up on your phone real quick? And the hesitation, mm. like they have to go in their brain and say, okay, did I erase that? Did I erase that history? Was I on private? Was, you know, like they have to go through this whole, and it just takes one second, but you can see in that one second of hesitation, all of the questions that they're actually thinking, they don't know purity and the right. peace and the ease of life. Never having to wonder, am I going to get caught for this? Is somebody going to find this? Did they get that file? Did I erase that thing? All the things that you have to do to create a private porn addicted life, you know, 
it really is actually an incredible gift that God has given the Christian to have the capacity for purity. It's really a beautiful experience. And on top of that, one of the things I preached on this past Sunday is what makes us unusable to God? And the answer is worldliness. And when there is worldliness inside of us, God looks at us. It doesn't say necessarily you're going to hell, but he just passes you by when it's time to be used. And the amount of things you're able to do for God, the clear headedness in prayer, your ability to serve people rather than use people, to not have secret parts of your life. You could be asked questions. You don't have to be afraid of the answers. It's an incredible blessing. And then it, and, and when you're living a life that's pursuing that, when the Lord has a really amazing responsibility to give to somebody, the eyes of the Lord, they go to and fro and they look for somebody whose heart is blameless to him. He can, he can stop on you and say, I've got a job for you. And you can say, I'm ready. I'm not mm -hmm. distracted with porn. Mm -hmm. You know, eight hours of my week are, are freed up magically, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, to do whatever you need me to do. And uh, the amount of time spent on porn can be spent studying the word of God, can be spent praying, encouraging people, leading a small group, you know, going to men, men's or women's studies. God knows what we could do with all the time given to porn, you know, and and then you don't have to worry about standing before God as somebody who exploited the least and sent kids passively or actively into sex slave industry and ruined their entire lives so they could be slaves. Mm. Anyways, I would advocate to men, there's great peace. And somebody's going to, I know, I can think of like five people off the top of my head who are listening to this and saying, it's a woman issue too. We're not talking about that today. That is a separate podcast. We're talking about something different right now. It's amazing how much the Bible just speaks to human flourishing and just says, God says, this is how I made you. Yep. And when you pursue those things, the fulfillment that comes through amazing relationships with other people and with God, it's just amazing how it protects you from just wanting an easy, fast, easy mm -hmm. fix to something yep. and working through the hard problems with people. Mm -hmm. Those relationships are valuable. Mm. It's so sad to me that 11% of Americans believe that pornography is wrong. That's it. I mean, a lot of people are neutral toward it. Maybe we'll take a few percentage points mm -hmm. uh, over the next decade and move them from positive to neutral, right? Um, but that's our goal is to help people understand, like, there's weight to this stuff. And we want to see you blessed and thrive and flourish mm -hmm. in the image of God. Well, I am so grateful you guys joined us for this episode. And again, when I invite you back Friday, where we're going to answer Pastor Tim and I the question, how do I actually overcome pornography addiction? Thanks for joining us today. Mm -hmm.